they find the angle, victory desperate. David Carney! It's in now! It's in a flying grabs on a square in the grand final! Incredible drama! And it's the right fullback who squared the ledger! Fabulous desperation from victory. They just couldn't get it away. Does it go in on the first instance? We can't really tell. It's close enough. But Ryan Grant makes no mistake. From Canounda to the Big Apple, he etches his name in A-League history. Ryan Grant gets the home team level. Thanks, Ryan, for joining us at the Regional Football Hub. We certainly appreciate you taking time out of your day to have a chat to us about your journey as a regional football player. Um, first and foremost... How's isolation going for you and how's you handling the current suspension of football? Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so far I think I'm a bit like everyone else, getting a bit antsy and a bit impatient, but um, it's obviously all for the right reasons, so can't complain too much. But, uh, yeah, pretty keen to get out and run around and play footy again. Beautiful. Are you doing much in... Uh by yourself, fitness-wise, I mean, I assume you'd probably be following some sort of a, a program from the club in what you need to do until it's the right time to be able to come back and train as a group. Yeah, we've been given um, programs from home. Um, it's a bit tougher when you have to sort of do it by yourself. The motivation levels aren't uh, always the strongest, but um, I think it's been long enough now of doing nothing um, for me anyway to, to really push myself and get going again because... You never know when the season will start again if it does, so you've got to try and be ready as much as you can. But, um, yeah, doing a little bit of fitness and um, meeting up with a, a few mates that have become coaches and stuff that have sort of put me through my paces, which has been nice. Yeah, cool. All right, I'm just going to share some um, photos here. Oh, yep. So, some photos of you back in the day. Fire <laughs> out. So my first question is, what was the go of that little beanie you had? Is that uh, pre-mullet days where you're hiding uh, the big locks of hair that you had that when you're running around and playing used to frustrate you no end because you'd be flicking the hair all the time when you're running around? Uh, yeah, yeah, I used to have a bit of a mop. Um, I've always had pretty ordinary haircuts and that was no different back then. So I had that, um, yeah, that was a trip to England that we did. Um, so I had to have a bit of a beanie and trying to be a little bit different like I do and um, sort of had to get something a bit strange. So I was, yeah, trying to wear that to keep warm, but also to make a bit of a fashion statement, which looking back wasn't probably the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> Look good, you're a trendsetter, mate, trendsetter. Um, what memories do you have from when you were um, back playing in, in Western? Obviously you moved to Kennewinder and then Bathurst and played for Churches United before you went to uh, Western New South Wales as such. What Memories do you have of that period of time when you were playing um, in a regional area? Um, yeah, obviously very fond memories. Um, playing out in, in the country is a little bit different. Um, you're sort of very close-knit with, with your uh, teammates. I know it's, it's probably the same up here or wherever you play, but out there is a little bit more community to it. Um, growing up in Canoundra, we used to have to play in the Cara comp because Canoundra obviously wasn't big enough, so we travel across to Cowra, which was always fun and made a good rivalry. And then moving to Bathurst from there, I think I was about 11 or 12. Um, yeah, didn't really know too much um, about the club. So spent a year with, I think, churches, just playing locally and then was 
jumped into Bathurst 75 at the time that was playing in the, I think it was Super Youth, it was called back then. Um, yeah, and travelling to Sydney every two weeks to, to play up here in this comp. So, um, yeah, looking back, it was, it was great times and um, you make some good mates and uh, I suppose when you travel together, you sort of get lifts and everyone sort of um, helps out when they can and it sort of uh, brings everyone together. So it was a really good time looking back and still got mates now that played with back then and uh, still keep in contact. So, yeah, it was a, a great part and wouldn't change anything, I don't think. Excellent. Um, I mean... <laughs> Back when you played, especially in my team, you played behind James Christie at number 10, but I'd say you were probably a, a very adventurous number 10. Um, how's the transition from, from then, obviously when you were playing um, in midfield and attacking Ralph, to now when you're rampaging uh, right back, let's say? How did that transition happen? Um, you know, when did it happen and, and how did you cope with, with that when it did happen? Uh, yeah, I don't think I've changed too much. I still run around like a headless chook, but um, yeah, the sort of the, the transition uh, occurred um, originally when I came. I was at, uh, at the AIS as a midfielder, but then um, joined Sydney FC uh, youth team, um, and obviously there was I was a bit younger compared to a lot of them, so there was a lot of good players running around, and the midfield was quite strong, so um, they needed someone to play right back and. Um, having a bit of a, a fitness base, I suppose. One of my strengths is my fitness. So they sort of gave me a, a chance there and um, played there. I didn't want to play there at all. I wasn't happy about it. No one, you always think that right backs is always people that get shifted. You're either not a good enough centre half or not a good midfielder. So didn't really want to play out there, but um, yes, had to play out there and then obviously did quite well and got into the first team that way. So um, yeah, sort of knuckled down and, and gave that a good shot. And then over the years, went back to midfield and then other positions. But um, I think my uh, my traits and my strengths uh, are best suited to right back. And when I realised that, I really gave it a, a red-hot crack. And then obviously it's done quite well for me. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, ten, first player to play 10 years at Sydney FC means that uh, you've done quite well from, you know, where you started. And I, I guess... The transition to, to play right back meant you were able to be a professional football player and play for Australia. I, I, was that something at the time that you thought about? Uh, I need to be a right back because this is what I want to do for my career. Uh, not particularly. Like I said at the start, I wasn't real happy about it, but then I sort of adjusted to it and um, saw it as a, a sort of a good uh, position for me. Um, it wasn't, I remember my agent at the time saying, I think Chelsea had just signed Basingwa. Um, for big money and he was saying that right back is uh, becoming more of an important uh, role and um, people don't look at it as it's sort of like a uh, we just put someone there for the time being it's sort of more of a, a integral part uh, in any team now so he was trying to convince me I still wasn't convinced um, but then when like I said when I realized uh, that I could do well there I really knuckled down and started to enjoy it as you know I, I love trying to attack and um, the modern day sort of fullback, you can try and get forward as much as possible, um, which sort of suited what I wanted to do. And never thought that I'd I'd kick on and, and play for the Socceroos um, when I started playing there or anything. But it was more just uh, this is uh, where I can fit into a team and, and play regularly and play week in, week out. And, um, yeah, to sort of just concentrate on that. And then the rest sort of came from there. What was the uh, hardest challenge you had? Um, I guess one as a regional player, but then two 
when you relocated to, to Sydney, what, what was the hardest challenges that you faced um, from those two situations? Um, yeah, you sort of, um, when I was playing out in Bathurst, I, I was sort of, without blowing smoke up my own bum, I was obviously one of the better ones and you think you're, you're quite good and you're doing quite well. And then um, when I got asked to move to Sydney for the New South Wales Institute of Sport, um, that in itself was hard transitioning, but on, on the football pitch, I was nowhere near the best and um, sort of struggled to find my feet for a good couple of months there. Um, but then the person I am, I suppose, and um, obviously coming from a country, you sort of never give up and that's what, what we're best at. So I sort of stuck at it and started to do really well and um, yeah, sort of pushed on from there. But the moving itself to Sydney was a big challenge, moving away from not only friends, but most importantly, your family. It was, it was tough and I was 15 at the time and catching tr- uh, public transport uh, at all sorts of times. Um, it was kind of scary and a bit of a, a transition, but um, yeah, like I said, I stuck it out and it sort of worked out on the pitch and worked out off the pitch. And um, yeah, I don't think I could uh, move back home now. I don't, no disrespect, but I don't think I could move back home now after um, sort of living up here and getting used to it. I think it's, I've lived in Sydney longer than I've lived anywhere. So uh, it is what it is, but um, yeah, definitely very tough uh, initially when I moved up. Um, purely just being away from family but uh, on the pitch I was not used to not being the, the better player and then um, yeah sort of got used to that and started to do well and then yeah sort of pushed on from there. Um, I guess we talk a lot about the challenges of being a regional footballer. Do you find any benefits from coming from a regional area? Uh, yeah I think I always speak highly of uh, the sort of competitors we are. I know Australians themselves are known as being never give up and um, very competitive, but I think even more so from the bush where it's maybe considered sort of working class, you sort of never give up and you try your best till the end. And um, I think, as people know, can be a bit fiery and a bit feisty and um, sort of are known to, to never give up, I suppose. And um, I think that's definitely been brought up with not only from my family, but being from where I'm from and uh, where I where I are. Uh, originated from I suppose so I think yeah definitely learning your trade out in the bush and um, yeah getting used to always trying hard and never giving up and that sort of put me in good stead when I uh, moved to Sydney and, and sort of tried to make a career in football. When you when you moved um, in terms of uh, going from Bathurst to when you went to Sydney for, for N-Swiss initially did you seek advice from anyone ex-players I mean I know Nathan Burns kind of followed the path that you followed before you was, was his, him or his family, someone you reached out to, or was there, were there others that helped you in you know, deciding, one, that's what you want to do, and then how to best sort of manage that? Yeah, so uh, initially I just said yes uh, to the NSWIS coach without really thinking it through and um, wanted to do it. But then after that, I obviously spoke to Burnsy. Um, as family knows, we're very good uh, family friends with the Burnses and Ray and Denise, um, my parents spoke to them. Um, I spoke to Nathan, and then uh, obviously Nathan Sherlock had done it uh, just the, the year previously. Um, so I spoke to him and sort of seen uh, what it was about and asked a few questions. But more than anything, I just sort of accepted it and did it before really thinking it through. And then um, it sort of just all happened quite quickly. And then once I was there, I sort of had to take a step back and think, oh, well, <laughs> what have I done? But then... Um, Obviously, it worked out quite well. and um, But, yeah, definitely did speak to some other boys that had done it. And um, then Nathan 
uh, obviously went on to the AIS and I got to speak to him about that uh, that too. So uh, I, was, I was quite lucky where a, a few players had done it um, in the previous years, which I could sort of get some advice and learn some little tips and things. Yeah, great. Excellent. So we speak about, I suppose, football being one game, but there's so many different levels in a sense, and you've come through them all through grassroots and then MPL years into an A-League environment and into a um, national environment. What do you think the, the main differences are? I know you said sort of when you're in a regional area, you were sort of above the others, and then you move into a sort of um, national environment and things, and you're finding your feet. What do you think are the main differences in the, all those levels of football? Um, I think the, the obvious answer is just the pro- professionalism. Um, I mean, every everyone when they're a kid, they always just rock up with their shin pads and boots on and it's all uh, fun and games, I suppose. But then as you go through it, um, you sort of have to learn your spot uh, firstly and, and know where you stand, I suppose. But then obviously the more professional it gets, the, the more strict and, and whatnot. So I think... Um, Overall, looking at it, the professionalism changes from level, uh, which is the obvious answer. But um, the things that don't change, I don't think, is uh, getting along with players and being friends and the camaraderie. I think the culture is massive. And uh, like I was saying before, out in the bush, you you sort of get really good, um, make really good friends and get really close with the players. And not only that, but their parents. And um, as I said, that you sort of get lifts everywhere and everyone's helping out where they can. And then as that goes on, the culture sort of doesn't really change. Although the parents aren't involved, you sort of become really good mates. And um, if you have a strong culture, I think it goes a long way to, to having a good team and then uh, being successful. So, um, yeah, I think the professionalism changes, but um, everything on the pitch and, and what you try and do as a, as a team and culture doesn't really change too much. Yeah. And then, obviously, you've gone through all the levels. How did it feel to finally break into the, the national camp to start with, to sort of get in there, have a bit of a run around a, a national environment and then compare that to finally getting your first cap to be able to go out and actually play with the Australian badge on your chest? Yeah, it's obviously a massive honour and um, it's always very cliche how I say it, but it's obviously it was a dream come true playing football your whole life. You you want to represent your country. I mean, I played a lot of sports and always just wanted to play for my country uh, no matter what it was, but to sort of pursue football and um, put so much time and effort into that to be able to, yeah, get to play for your country and represent Australia was awesome. Um, as you said, I sort of got called up a couple of years before my debut and, and sat on the bench for a few games and then, um, yeah, then got injured not long after. So I didn't uh, get to make any more um, appearance or make an appearance or make any more uh, squads or camps. And then a couple of years down the track from that, I was um, back from injury and, was lucky enough to get a, the call up and, and make my debut. So uh, it was it was very exciting. I didn't think I'd get that chance again, but then um, I was lucky enough. And, yeah, just being part of the setup is is unreal, but be able to step on the field and, and say you've got that one cap uh, for Australia. And um, I suppose at any one time, you're one of the best 11 players um, in Australia at the time, I suppose. So when people tell you that and, and you look at it from that sort of point of view, it's, it's really cool. but um, when it happens, you sort of just, it's like a progression. You, you're obviously stoked, but then you you know, you just have to get on with it and, and do your best and, and try and stay there as long as possible. So it's a mixture of emotions and different feelings and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's a big honour and something I'm really, really uh, happy happened. Great. That's awesome. And I suppose credit, credit to yourself as well. You sort of got a taste of it and then it all sort of fell apart and then 
to go back into it. Does anything change, I suppose, now? You know, a spot's never secured in a national team, but now that you've sort of been in the environment a little bit of a longer and you've sort of got a bit of consistency in that environment, does anything change? Uh, not really. I think to represent your country is obviously the highest honour, so you're always going to do your best or do your best to, to stay a part of that. Um, if anything, it gives you a little bit of confidence in yourself and uh, that's something I think I've always sort of lacked. I, I don't think I always thought I was the best. I, or I always sort of saw myself as just trying as hard as I could and if that could get me so far, then then that was great. But, um, yeah, sort of representing your country and being able to... Well, I've played a handful of games now, being able to sort of be consistent in that for at least the last 18 months has sort of made me a little bit more confident in myself and um, made me back myself when I got that chance rather than sort of going into my shell and, and being a little bit scared. It was more now I'm, I'm happy to be there and um, get along with everyone. So I've got that little bit of uh, confidence in myself to sort of kick on and, and give it a good crack. But uh, training-wise, nothing changes. You sort of just, you try, if anything, maintain a, a higher standard and you sort of try and bring it back to club land and um, do it on a regular basis uh, on the field. And then even in training, you're trying to lift a standard and keep it as high as possible uh, to give you every chance of uh, staying among the, the camp and the squad. What's the point where you, where you think in your head, I've, I've made it now? Is it when you signed your first contract, when you played your first A-League game, when you first call up to Socceroos or the first game in Socceroos? What, what was the point in your head that you think, you know, I've made it, I'm on the path and I'm where I want to be? Uh, I think all of those things you mentioned, once once you do them, you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. And then um, you, soon see, you soon see, sorry, that, uh, there's obviously another step to go and you want to be better. So when you sign your first professional contract, I was pumped. I think I went and bought a PlayStation at the time. I thought, here we go, I've got a bit of cash. I can go spend some stuff. And then after that, you um, yeah, you want to be, then you want to play your first game. So you play your first game, you think that's all la da But then um, you sort of just keep setting different goals and different benchmarks where you want to reach um, but you never fully think you've made it. Like even to today, I'm always questioning my own ability or if I'm good enough or whatnot. And it only takes one good game to sort of change that um, mind frame. But then it only takes one bad game to sort of go back into it. So you never really think you've made it. You sort of compete. Like now that I'm lucky enough to play for Australia, you play against some some big nations. You think, um, yeah, I'm nowhere near them. So you you, you still know that you haven't quite made it. But um, yeah, you're still quite uh, comfortable in, in what I've achieved, and um, it's been great. But yeah, you always want to push further and see what you can what you can do. I mean, you had some challenges. You did your ACL twice. How do you get, How do you get through that mentally? I mean, beyond the disappointment, what what becomes the, the driver to get back, and and how do you handle it? You know, in a mental sort of way, in terms of handling disappointment, and you know getting motivated to get back to where you were? Um, yeah, they, that was both very tough times. Um, both times didn't come at the, the best. Oh, it depends which way you look at it. I I always thought it was the worst timing. The first one, I just uh, was player's player for Sydney FC that year and thought I was doing well. And then um, the following season, I think round three, did my knee. So you can sort of look at it like, uh, I was doing so well, I could have pushed on and then this setback, but you could have easily be not doing well. And then if it happened that that time, you could sort of lose a, a contract or not re-sign, I suppose. And then the second time, 
like I just mentioned, just won a grand final, had been called up for the Socceroos, uh, didn't play, but had been called up and then went and did my knee. So both times were, wasn't the best timing or was great timing, depends which way you look at it. But um, yeah, the, the thing, the big pusher for me, and I'm quite lucky or any professional is quite lucky that I still had to go to training every day. So I had to do something anyway. So I sort of approached it. I have to be here. I only have to be here for three or four hours. Let's just knuckle down and get this done as soon as possible. And then I can get out and then take my mind off it because the last thing you want to do is overthink it. You see your mates running around playing footy, you being successful, especially at the time in Sydney, Sydney was being quite successful and I was missing out on it. It was great to be a part of um, and the club and, and the coaching staff really wanted me to feel a part of it, which I did. But at the same time you see them doing well and you're sort of sitting in the stands. It was, it was tough, but um, yeah, the, the biggest motivation was, uh, for me was just I have to do this anyway regardless so let's just get stuck into it um, get it done and then and then get back as soon as possible so I can be uh, part of the success again and then lucky enough for me that sort of happened on both occasions even though there were a few hiccups here and there um, I was out for a pretty extended period especially the first one I think it was 14 months um, just from pushing it too too quickly to come back I had a little slight hiccup and set me back a few months so that wasn't great but um, yeah, once you're back, you sort of, you realise how much you missed it and you don't really want to take it for granted again. So I think those those things were the biggest um, indicators for me to, to get back into it and get back to, to where I was. Um, I think Fernley has some photos to go through just before I ask my next question. Yep. There we go. So there's the two games you've played against Manchester United and Liverpool. What memories do you have from those games? Um. The A-League All-Stars one was really cool because you're sort of selected from, um, I think, the public or even the coach has an insight, um, as I say, sorry. So it, I'm not sure if it was the coach that picked me or just the public on voting. So that was just cool to be sort of recognised uh, to be part of it. And um, obviously at the time, Manchester United were a huge club. I know they still are, but back then they were even bigger. Um, so it was really cool to be able to um, play against them and um, sort of test yourself. The Liverpool game is a funny one because they literally arrived that morning um, after being on a flight for close to 20, 20 hours, I think it is, from the UK. So they um, arrived that morning, played us that night, um, yeah, and, and pulled our pants down. They were unbelievable. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just remember thinking, if they can play like that after a 20-hour flight, I do not want to play them when they're feeling uh, 100%. But um, yeah, just the sharpness was the biggest difference that I sort of took out of it. Um, Firmino, I didn't, to be fair, I am a bit of a Liverpool fan, but I didn't know a lot about him. Um, obviously liked him, but just seeing him in person and live and how sharp and quick he was. Um, and again, like I said, coming off a flight um, that day and to be able to do what he was doing was, was pretty freakish and to see that in person was really cool. So um, yeah, they were obviously great experiences. I've played against PSG also and um, Chelsea and Tottenham, which all all of them are exactly the same. I think a lot of Australian players uh, can match it, but the biggest thing is how sharp they are and how quick um, and how quick they think. I think is the, the biggest difference, and that's definitely what I saw and uh, tried to learn from. Cool. Um, I just got your uh, FIFA cards here, so I don't know if you can see that. Yep. So my question is, what did you do between 2019 and 2020 to get your pace up? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a... I've always been a bit um, not real happy with the pace. I think I'm a little bit quicker than that, to be honest. A few boys in the team have got better stats than me. I'm not real happy about it. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. There must have been one or two clips uh, that the, the FIFA rating people saw that I sort of put the burners on and um, they sort of took that in. But by the looks of it, I got a better tan too. That first photo, I looked a bit white and pasty. That second one, I'm looking quite brown. So... Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, they're both ordinary photos, though. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, do when you play FIFA, do you play FIFA much? Uh, not a lot. I've played a little bit more now that I've been in lockdown and stuff. So I've, I've sort of got into it a little bit, but I only sort of occasionally play just for money with some mates. But other than that, not a lot. <laughs> do you uh, do you push Steve Coker aside and then put yourself into the ten on the nine? Uh, I do put myself high up the pitch just to try and uh, score a few more goals. But, um, yeah, once I soon see how my sh- uh, shooting rating is, I sort of push myself back. <laughs> oh, just got another question, Ryan. So, obviously, you had success at um, A-League level as well. And I'd say from previous interviews, you're someone who thrives off sort of added pressure from a situation or the, the crowd as well. And I remember after the grand final last year, um, you're saying that you probably wouldn't have taken a, a penalty if it wasn't for the crowd booing, et cetera. Um, how do you explain that? Are you someone who thrives for that added added pressure in games or? Um, yeah, a little bit. I think um, that was a little bit different. I, I don't, I probably wouldn't say I'm the, the biggest pressure player. Um, under pressure player but that one was a little bit different because that was a very personal every time I touched the ball they were they were booing me and um it was very noticeable I think everyone could hear it there was I think 60 odd thousand people there and majority were obviously Perth fans so um yeah that was a bit difficult but um yeah that I just wanted to get one over them I was they were obviously booing like I said and I just had sort of wanted to have that last laugh so uh, when it came to penalties and the coach was asking who's keen, I definitely put my hand up and said, yeah, I just want to get one over these fellas. And um, lucky enough, I scored it even though Rocket got a... Yeah, I did. A, it was a not bad pen, but Rocket got a hand to it. But lucky enough, it, it went in the back of the net. So, can't complain. What did you say to Jason Davidson to upset him so much? Uh, <laughs> he, he, was, he, was, he was in my ear more than anything. And then... It just makes me look uh, like I was sort of getting stuck into him. They didn't show much of him mouthing off to me, but um, yeah, he was. It was just friendly bands, like it always is. And then um, in the end, I sort of got the last laugh. But there's just a lot of funny memes came out after it with the my mullet of Joe Dirt, and then his blonde hair was Eminem. So it was it was a good laugh, and I think everyone got a lot of people interested. I suppose and if I have to be the bad guy for that, then then fair enough. But um, yeah, it, it it was just a, a, a good occasion. Uh, best players you've played with, um, and which players have you learned the most from being around? Um, yeah, good question. I think obviously you can't go past Del Piero. Um, play with him; he was a freak. Uh, goes without saying. Just seeing him on a on a personal level, there in day in day out, he was yeah just. He was a joke. Um, obviously, played with um, Tim Cahill. I've played with uh, John Aloisi. Um, these are sort of the bigger names, but then players that you sort of 
aren't as recognisable, I suppose, or people don't really um, see the best of, I suppose, or think the best of, like people like Broski, I think just what he could do even before he came back the first time he was at Sydney, he was a freak and always thought that. Um, then when he came back, he, he became the captain and um, the sort of leader he was. He's not the bloke to sort of um, stand up and say, let's do this, let's do that, let's motivate. It was more, he was a, just a good mate and um, you just saw what he gave on the pitch um, and it really drove you and um, yeah, become really good mates with him and um, see him do really well. That was that was awesome. So I think I learned a lot from him just as a uh, person around the environment and, and what he can um, sort of do for a team without being that motivational fella. Um, who else? It's sort of hard. Like even Minko, Minko was a, is a freak. Um, the stuff he does, um, I don't think goes as as um, I think people don't really realise just what he does uh, on the ball. He's obviously freak, but he's um, in the top two um, distance covered every game uh, without doubt. Um, so I think just the things that he does off the ball for the team is freakish. So I know there's a lot more. I can't think of them off the top of my head. It's a hard when you've been at, at the same club for 11 years. But um, yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'm missing a few players, but there's some big names. But I think, yeah, knowing that what I learned off Broski and even off Ninko, so he can be the best player and be a marquee, but still work as hard as anyone else. I think they're the biggest things. I mean, we're all guilty of this, and particularly me. I mean, we look at you know the best players, and they're normally attackers. I mean, is there defenders that that you look at to model off, or defenders that you look at um, that you've played with to think I want to be a little bit like them, or things that they do that inspire you as well as a player? Um, yeah, I think. I'm a little bit like everyone else. You sort of watch the, the fancy players that score the goals or set them up. But um, I think players that I've played with, obviously Wilco um, is just so consistent um, and he's sort of very professional. So you sort of learn subconsciously, I think, from these players. When you're in an environment um, like we are at Sydney at the moment, it's, it's not really people um, barking orders or telling you how you should be or act or whatnot. It's more everyone's sort of doing it because they want the best for themselves, but want the best for the teams. And you sort of just learn from that and adapt to that. So you almost become more professional um, off the park just from being around people like, like Wilco and, and um, et cetera. So even other players like back in the day, uh, Simon Colosimo played with him. Um, I was just learning my trade as a right back and he was playing center half. So I learned, learned a lot off him as a defender. Um, yeah, but other than that, I think the modern-day people, um, they're both younger than me, so it's a bit awkward. But uh, I think the two Liverpool fullbacks are the, the perfect modern-day um, footballers or fullbacks, I should say. So, um, yeah, sort of watching them, I'm a big visual learner. So if I watch them and see what they do, I think it makes a big difference for me. And um, they're obviously top of assist or whatever as defenders. So, um, yeah, they're, they're big um, players that I like to watch a lot. How about growing up, Ryan? Were there players that you tried to model your game off or something like that? Uh, yeah, again, I was a, a more of a midfielder, attacking player, so I, I loved Harry Keel. Um, I loved Paducah. Sort of those sort of players that you want to be like because you can relate to them as Australians and obviously they're the, the, the biggest names at the time. But as I got older, you sort of watch players and I know Gerard's a, another freak, but I love to watch him and see what he could do. Um, so yeah, sort of the, the generic big names I, I used to love, but 
Um, then you sort of play with people on a personal level and you sort of try and learn from them. Um, but again, like I mentioned, Burnsy looked up to him and saw what he did and, and tried to learn from that. But other than that, I think I'm like most other Australians and just love the, the big name Aussies. Was there any uh, influential sort of people when you were, were younger that helped, I guess, guide you for your journey? I mean, obviously, your mum and dad were quite supportive of you and, and obviously, um, you know, your dad helped out a lot with travelling to Swiss when you first started. But were there any other uh, influential people going from either being in a youth regional player or when you made that transition to go to Sydney? Um, yeah, obviously, you mentioned my parents. I think they were massive and they're obviously massive for everyone um your parents are sort of do everything for you and mine were no different and um they were the definitely the biggest drivers for me but um obviously yourself Andrew <laughs> uh just different I had a few different coaches uh in in the um country and I think they're all um very good um I think we're, we're quite lucky or at the time we're quite lucky to to sort of have the calibre of coaches we had out in the bush um Sort of teaching us that it wasn't just um, sort of country football where you just run as hard as you could or run as long as you could. It was more we we tried to uh, learn or you guys sort of tried to teach us technical side, which was was massive and, and tactics also. So I think that was pretty important. Um, but yeah, like I said, there was yourself and a lot of other coaches uh, at the time that sort of um, yeah little little tips I suppose that they would sort of individually, but then as a team. The way they sort of coach was was quite helpful, but um, yeah, I think all in all, it was definitely mum and dad that sort of pushed me and, and made me do um, the next step, I suppose. Like I said, tried to coach. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't give you too much of a rat, mate. Just telling the truth, fans. <laughs> uh, just last question before uh, before we close up, because um, I know I know your time's precious. Uh, any advice for, for regional players that, you know, are currently 12 to, to 15 or, or maybe a little bit older that are, that are playing in and wanting to pursue the path that, you know, you've followed um, and, and gone down? Any advice you have that, for them? Um, yeah, I think the biggest one is um, always uh, try your best because you, I think a lot of it, especially for me, I was very lucky that sort of things happened um, quite organically, but um, always do your best because you sort of, I know it's very cliche, you never know who's watching it. Um, it's just a lot of it is right place, right time. If, if you tend to do, have a good game and the right people are watching, you never know what sort of can happen from that. But um, yeah, sort of, and be willing to make sacrifices. I know it's tough and um, I know a lot of younger people these days sort of get painted with the same brush of being a little bit, um, I suppose not the not work ethic or don't have the work ethic or don't want to make those sacrifices. So, but I know there is a lot of people that are willing to do it too. So I think if you're willing to make sacrifices and um, always do your best and um, be ready to to sort of make a change when it's the right time. Uh, I know I'm not wording this the best, but I think the biggest thing for me in my personal um, path was a lot of it was right place right time whether it was being selected for a team um or sort of playing the next game it was always uh, right place right time and a lot of it comes down to luck but uh, like my dad always told me you make your own luck so if you're doing the right things um 
off the park or I suppose working as hard as you can, uh, you make your own luck and then um, sort of take your chance when you get it. So I think the biggest advice is always do your best because you never know who's watching and then um, be ready to make sacrifices. Well, um, before we wrap, we've asked a common question throughout it all and it's Messi versus Ronaldo. Which side are you on? Uh, I'm a Messi fan. I'm not sure really why. Um, Ronaldo's obviously a freak and he works like a like the way how hard he works is, is freakish but I think just to watch I, I prefer Messi um, last good question. answer <laughs> yes. um, last question Graham Arnold said uh, before you come into one of the camps that you had to fix your haircut how did you uh, survive that he just loved playing it up to the media Arnie um, I said to him and I think I've said it a few times that um, he had just as bad of a mullet back in the day and, and a moustache too. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a the kettle calling the pot black, I think. But, um, yeah, he, he was all right with it. He was just having a laugh and um, sort of put me on show like he likes to do. But uh, he's all right with it, which is which is lucky. I didn't have to shave it to, to play for my country, which was, would have been a tough decision. Um, but it, it worked out both ways. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, we, uh, we certainly appreciate your time you've been able to spend with us and we're sure it's going to help a lot of regional players that, uh, you know, look up to what you've done and look up to what you're doing. So um, for us at the Regional Football Hub, we certainly appreciate you coming on today and we hope football starts again soon for you and um, hopefully when that does happen, you'll be able to add another, you know, medal to your trophy cabinet. So thanks very much, Buster, for coming on. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Thanks, Ryan. All the best, mate. Thanks, boys. Ta